Hey everybody, this is episode 20 of Artist Soapbox. Hello and welcome to Artist Soapbox, a podcast featuring artists from the Triangle region of North Carolina talking about their work, their plans, their manifestos. I am Tamara Kassain. In this episode, we discuss oil painting, storytelling, the business of art, entrepreneurship, and more with Gerard Staten. Gerard is a Durham-based actor, portrait painter, and entrepreneur. He has been acting with Little Green Pig, Man Bites Dog, and 10 by 10 of the Triangle for nearly a decade. His latest appearance was in Killian Manning's Uncle Sam Wants You. Gerard is currently the executive director of the Helios Foundation, a nonprofit that provides free coaching and mentoring for qualifying entrepreneurs. And once a week, he still manages to paint. Hi, Gerard. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So I know you. Well, I met you as a painter and an actor, but I know that's only one piece of the many experiences that you've compiled in your life thus far. What are some of the different paths your life has taken and how did your art intersect with those? Uh, This is an interesting question that I sort of dreaded because (laughs) it's one of those things that uh, even my best friend now, uh, Jay Everett, makes fun of me for. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you were a watcher of the Gilmore Girls, but she still to this day calls me Kirk (laughs) because I had so many different jobs. Mm -hmm. I did private investigation for a little while, I ran a pet sitting company, I worked in a restaurant, of course the art, uh, I was in the military, I worked in a putt-putt golf and game, so I've had a lot of jobs and things that I decided I wanted to do which is how I got into entrepreneurship, because Mm. I was not good at just doing one thing at all. Mm -hmm. So things kind of started for me. Uh, I went in the military right out of high school and thought that service would be the thing that I wanted to do. And then uh, six months into that, I realized that I'd made a terrible, terrible mistake. And so I managed to uh, keep going for my time. Uh, I did find a lot of joy in the military and, and then service ended up sticking for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found that I went back to that pretty regularly. Uh, I worked with uh, hazard mitigation, which is the state equivalent of FEMA. So I got to help out during a lot of our major disasters, Hurricane Fran, Hurricane Floyd, mm. uh, things like that. And through all of that, uh, I started in art back in high school. So art and acting both came at about the same time for me. Uh, And both have intersected my life constantly throughout that journey, Mm -hmm. actually. Even there was a time where I cut both of them out. Uh, As we mentioned, I'm an entrepreneur and I've started a business, the Helios Foundation. And so while that was up and running, I decided I wasn't gonna do any art. I wasn't going to perform in any shows. Mm -hmm. I was just gonna concentrate on getting the business up and running and I struggled and it struggled because of that. Mm -hmm. So both of those are really big parts of my life and cutting them out hurt tremendously. Mm -hmm. You said that the visual art and the acting came about the same time when you were in high school. How did you discover that those were of interest to you? It was great, so one of the things that I'm particularly sad about education today is that a lot of those things are being taken out and I think from what I've talked to a number of teachers the idea is that and not that teachers actually approve of this by any means but in an attempt to try to explain it the idea is that there are these extracurriculars so if you are interested in art you can find a place to do art Mm -hmm. the problem is that that's not how I got into either one of these things I 
took art classes because it was an extra thing that we had to do. So you go in, you do your art, music, and then you go into a little theater thing when mm. I was in school. And so when I took theater, it was exciting. It was a lot of fun. Mm. It was one of those everyone wins a trophy. Everyone was in the play every <laughs> year. So if you're in that class this year, you were in the play. Mm -hmm. But while I was in the play, and the first play that we did was Pippin, I believe, and it was so much fun. So that got me addicted to both being in a cast, a large cast. Uh, it also got me addicted to being in front of people, mm -hmm. which is probably bad for the world, but <laughs> hardly. Now I, now I love it. So, uh, and then art was the exact same thing. Uh, we had to take art classes. I was just there. I could always draw as a kid, so art wasn't particularly fascinating for me. And then my, my instructor brought in oil paints for us. She said at the beginning of class, oil paints are expensive, so we're only doing this for a day. Mm. And in that day, I absolutely fell in love. I got to go back, actually, to finish the work that I had started that day. Mm. And so oil painting has been my love ever since. But I wouldn't have found either one of those things if they weren't not just an opportunity, but that I had been invited into them. Mm -hmm. So they were requirements, essentially. They were requirements. Yeah. yeah. That's so interesting when we are required to do something that we end up loving because right. we wouldn't have tried it from the start. I'm not a visual artist, so I don't really understand the difference uh, between working with these types of mediums. Why oils as opposed to, what, pastels or watercolors? Yeah, absolutely. So for me, it is the fluidity of oil. Uh, that sounds like one of those hokey answers that you practice, but <laughs> it's, uh, so one of the things that I really like about oil paints is that I can start working on a portrait today and then I can go have lunch or maybe watch a television show or a movie, come back and then I can pick up where I left off. Mm -hmm. uh, I do a lot of blending with my work and so that's something that is much harder to do with acrylics. Mm -hmm. You can in fact do it with pastel and people have said that pastels and oil are very similar in the way that they work, mm -hmm. but pastel is so messy. Uh, and things are spread all over the place. I like being able to blend my colors a little bit more than having to find the color that I want. Mm -hmm. uh, so oil was better for me in that respect. Uh, it was definitely better for me than acrylic because acrylic dries so fast and it just makes me angry. <laughs> and I don't need that sort of stress when I'm painting. No. So um, I do still draw. I do a lot of pencil drawing still. Mm. But yeah, I think that being able to keep working and blending and doing glazing. I feel that oil, especially for doing portraits and working with people and all the different subtleties and color, uh, I think those, oil is the, the best medium for that. Mm -hmm. For me, people out there who are pastel painters, uh, they do fine too. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it just, it was, it's much harder for me to get into it that way. How do you find inspiration for what you'd like to paint? It is, easy. I, I've never had the equivalent of writer's block when it comes to paintings. In fact, I have so many paintings in my head that mm. mostly what happens is I try to do two or three at the same time. Uh, I've stopped doing that. Uh, it was fine, but I just don't know where to go. They're, right. they're all up and, and running. So now I try to concentrate on a painting and finish it. But a lot of that inspiration comes from a number of places. Theater is one of them. So a lot of my art is what I call storyteller art. Uh, I think a painting is a success when someone looks at it 
and then tells me what they think it means and it's not what I said. Yes. In fact, I'm very disappointed when someone says, oh, is that Achilles? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah Nailed it. It is. Well done. You know, and so for me, it is all about a story. When you look at my work, hopefully a story starts forming in your head. Mm. Um, sometimes that story is madly different than what I had planned, and that's great. Uh, it is one of the reasons I don't tell people what my art means, actually. Mm -hmm. So if I may, that's actually one of those stories that uh, I did a painting. Um, now I don't remember what the painting was called, but it was, uh, it was based on Medea. So it is a woman standing, she's holding this doll in her hands. And around her, she's in a kid's room with spider webs and, and junk all over the place. So for me, of course, Medea, and Medea killed her kids, so she can be with the person that she loved. It was this tragic story. It's one of the only sad paintings that I've done, mm -hmm. but I really liked it. So I finished the painting and I put it up in a show. I'm hanging it and a guy comes in and he is just in love with it. And he's just looking at it and then he leaves and he brings his wife and then he leaves and he brings two friends and they're just looking at this picture and he's in love with it and we're starting to talk about you know, buying it. And then the wife says, so what were you thinking when you painted this? And I proudly said, this is Medea. Medea killed her kids. When, <laughs> and you can see this guy's face just sink. And he says, oh, this painting made me think of my daughters because they're all off to college. And when they come home, I feel like they don't quite fit in in their oh. environment. Oh, and then of course that guy leaves. They just wander out. So, mm -hmm. and so I didn't feel bad about losing the sale. What I felt bad about was that I took this guy's story away from him because right. his story is awesome. Right. So telling him what mine was, was sort of detrimental to that. So now I don't mm -hmm. tell me what you think a painting means and that matters. Mm -hmm. And so my inspiration generally comes from stories. It comes from a lot from theater and things that I see, uh, a lot of movies. I'm a big movie buff. So, and a surprising number of my paintings are based on a lyric in a song mm. and then I think ooh how can I represent that and then I do so far no one's guessed those and it's great mm -hmm. uh, so yeah I get I'm lucky inspiration comes from everywhere as a consumer of art I always appreciate art that raises questions rather than provides answers I think as an artist it's really tempting for me to want to provide answers and say, this is what I think, and this is what you should think, and this is what this means. And it's, so I admire that you have that kind of restraint to allow people to take what you provide and transform it so that they are participants in the art making and consuming experience. It is hard to do because sometimes I think I'm very clever. Right. <laughs> and so I want to say, ooh, did you get it? Right. That, ooh, and, and so it is, it is very difficult. There are a few people that I can tell this to. So I've got, you know, I've got four or five friends that I share every painting with, even as it's going, and I get to say to them, ooh, so you know that this actually is such and such. Mm -hmm. And because they're my friends, they go, yeah, whatever. <laughs> I, like, I like that apple, you know, and so, uh, they're also humbling, which mm -hmm. is which is good. Mm -hmm. Recently, you were in a dance theater piece, <laughs> Killian Manning's yeah. Uncle Sam Wants You. What was that like? It was so much fun and very strange because I, despite what anyone 
tried to tell me in the uh, uh, setting up, and Killian was like, no, no, you're a great dancer. Um, but that was just to get me in the play. <laughs> I am not a dancer. No one says, oh, that Gerardi can really move. And so uh, it was It was fun to see. It was a little intimidating. Mm. Uh, and it was intimidating not because there were a bunch of Gerard-like Neanderthals bouncing around in there, but because there are amazing dancers in this piece. Mm -hmm. And so it would be one thing if we were all just kind of goofing, but I would do my little thing and then these professionals would start moving and even small things that they did were just, oh, look at how smooth that is. Mm -hmm. And so it was fun. Uh, it was, it really took me out of my comfort zone. Uh, I would do it again, but maybe not soon. I gotta <laughs> relax a little bit. Uh, but I, yeah, I had a really good time and it's been a long time since I've gotten to do something that just made me feel completely uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about Helios. My baby. Yes. Your baby is almost three. Mm -hmm. You started it in 2015. Why don't you tell us about it? So the Helios Foundation does the it does coaching and mentoring for small businesses. And we concentrate primarily on what we call necessity-driven entrepreneurs. So this is uh, entrepreneurs who, for whatever reason, have trouble finding legitimate, dignified work. We can all go get a job at a McDonald's. Not that that's bad, but uh, uh, people who are trying to support a family need a little more than that. Mm -hmm. That When I started it, I figured that I'd be working with people who lacked education, justice-involved immigrants. It turns out that there are hundreds upon hundreds of reasons that someone has trouble finding really good work, mm. uh, especially in a place that has so many major universities and things like that. Even credit scores now can keep you from getting a good job. Mm. So I work with people who, to answer that, started their own business. Many of them don't consider themselves entrepreneurs. They just have a side hustle, something they do to make ends meet. However, I'm certain that we can take most of those side hustles and actually get them to be full-on legitimate profit-earning businesses. Mm -hmm. We don't, we're not trying to get anyone rich. Our goal is to get everyone's business up to earning a fair living wage. And then we have other resources that we can help them with. So up to fair living wage, we work with them absolutely free. We have limited capacity, of course, but you know that's actually starting to grow, so we're taking in a few more people. We have this Launch Durham program um, that is starting in ooh, two weeks, uh, so that's coming up. Uh, so yeah, that's the, the clients that we really work with, and we've got some businesses that are doing really well. I'm very proud of this group of people. You received over 100 applications for Launch Durham. I did, I did. So Launch Durham is an intensive eight-week business building class. Uh, we work three hours every Tuesday from 6.30 to 9.30. Mm -hmm. And so we were going to take 15 to 20 people. Uh, I thought maybe we'd get 30, 40 applicants uh, who are interested in this class. We got 114, and that's only the people who replied in time. Mm -hmm. uh, we had a number of people who came in late, which we couldn't consider, but we're going to have another one in the fall. So people will still have plenty of time for that to to go online. Uh, but yeah, there are a lot of people out there that are trying to start businesses and get them up and running. And there have been numbers that have said that uh, in the very near future, the, that most businesses are going to be one or two people businesses. Mm -hmm. And so I want to make sure that the people who have been sometimes unfortunately left behind 
uh, will now have an even footing and mm -hmm. they will have their things established, uh, especially because the triangle is supposedly within the next few years, uh, supposed to get up to a million people. Wow. And so making sure that, you know, the saying that a rising tide raises all boats, unfortunately isn't true. Right. Uh, so we want to make sure that everyone does have that, that equal footing. Mm -hmm. What do you find is most necessary for people who want to become entrepreneurs? What is the primary piece that they're missing, knowing how to make that leap? I think it's the faith, actually. Mm. So I do a lot of educating about business, but mostly what I do is i just a cheerleader. Uh, when we're working with people, so there are a lot of people who know entrepreneurship is a way, mm -hmm, right? They've mm -hmm. got families uh, who owned a store or an uncle who's a lawyer or whatever that runs their own business. A lot of the people that come to me don't actually have that example. And so they say, oh, I would like to start this little side business and try to make an extra couple hundred dollars every month. You know that you could actually make $40,000 a year doing this, right? right. Because here are a number of people who have done it, and just that blows people's mind sometimes. Mm -hmm. So I find that a lot of what I have to do is just show them examples and show them why they're just as qualified to do this as anyone else. Uh, I have a number of people who are starting businesses that I have to constantly remind them, hey, here's a guy that started just like you. He mm -hmm. didn't get any investment from anyone. He's doing the same exact business as you. His is doing a million dollars a year, there's no reason that you can't, and but convincing people that that's the case when they've never thought in their whole life can be difficult. Mm -hmm. But that's the biggest part of it by far. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned that you have always had somewhat of an entrepreneurial spirit yourself. Yeah. Why didn't you decide to go and start your own business? Rather, you have created a nonprofit to help other people do that. Why? Why was that important to you? It was well. I started three businesses, but they are all, they were all relatively small because I was also in that same boat. Mm. I, I don't know, why would anyone want to go work for my business, right? So my first business in high school, uh, I sold candy mm -hmm. in class. Uh, I would walk to school, get $10 worth of candy, come back with $20. One of the things that was really good is that even teachers in, class, in school encouraged that. Some of them did not. I'm not calling them out, but I got sent to the principal's office a lot for selling candy in class. But my principal supported it and is actually the one who said the first time, you know you're in school with a lot of rich kids, right? And I was like, yeah. These kids will pay more than 20 cents for a blow pop. Wow. Really? And so I would slowly raise my prices and be <laughs> uncomfortable. Hey, blow pops are now 50 cents. Anyone? Oh, oh you're going to buy. Oh, you're still <laughs> buying it. And then I would sell one. Um, I got up to where I was buying blow pops for 10 cents and selling them for a dollar. Wow. And so my $10 became roughly 60 to $80. And sometimes I'd come home with $100. Uh, I used that money to help buy my first car. Mm. So then I was totally addicted to entrepreneurship and I still didn't know exactly what it was. Uh, I started a small pet sitting company uh, with the world's most original name, Perfect Pet Sitters, P-U-R-R, -R. oh, so clever am I. <laughs> uh, and so I started that company, uh, merged with another, bought out another, uh, ran it for about three years. I'm impatient as I already mentioned, so I went to a business consultant very similar to myself 
who charged a lot more money than I do. Mm -hmm. And uh, he looked over all my books and records and said, you're actually doing really well. And I said, how long before I don't have to miss another Christmas with my family? Mm. He said, yeah, within about three or four years, you should be able to just have, uh, no, I can't wait that long. Mm. And so I sold it. Uh, and then, of course, my, my art career. So when I sold my pet sitting business, I did the art career for a couple years, actually. Uh, I was doing really well when the economy tanked. So now one of my things is teaching other people to do this is that it worked for me. Mm -hmm. uh, it really worked for me. So I'm a great example of, oh, you can do it. People will do I still get calls about the pet sitting company today, hmm. actually. Um, and it's not posted anywhere that I know of. So somehow people are still finding out about it. Hmm. Uh, it's been gone for about seven years now. So uh, it's still floating around out there. Uh, I would say don't hire perfect pet sitters, but there might actually be one. So. <laughs> Uh, so it's yeah, just not it's, you. Uh, it's just not me. Just not me. Find the other one. Mm -hmm. But were you, were you called to be of service to other people in the community? At, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So the service from the military still stuck. Mm -hmm. um, and working with uh, FEMA and hazard mitigation. So being able to help people mattered. The Helios Foundation got started with the idea that it was just going to be a project. I was going to pick a few people every year and just sort of help them uh, mm. as a mentor to help them get their business up and running. And I didn't realize how big that role actually was going to be. So it wasn't my intention actually to start a business, but I saw that there was this need and surprisingly not many people were actually doing anything about this need. Mm -hmm. uh, and so the Helios Foundation came about. We, we brought in a couple partners. People were, are very supportive. We've got a lot of supporters out there. Um, we've got volunteers and students. Uh, we've got a, a fellows program that is going through Duke. Uh, so we've got a lot of people that are helping to, uh, you know, to change the, hopefully to change the entrepreneurial landscape here in Durham. How are you balancing all of this? Because you have so many people involved now and it has grown maybe even more than you anticipated initially. Oh yeah. So as the executive director, you have to keep all of these balls in the air with this team and a board and sponsors and clients and fellows. And it's a lot of people to manage in addition to the clients. Right. How, how are you doing that? Yeah, I'd like to say it's easy. It is not easy. It takes a great deal of work. So one of the things that I am very fortunate about is to have uh, my wife, Lane. Hi, Lane. Uh, who is good enough to understand that I have a lot of work to do, but also really good about saying, you need to take a break. And so we have our designated date night and mm. we, we go out. Uh, I've got my friends who regularly, I haven't seen you in a week, let's schedule something. And so uh, I've got a lot of outside support mm -hmm. that makes a huge difference. I also, some of it is luck. I have a lot of interest, so I drum, I play video games. And so sometimes I will be working for quite a while and then I will realize, oh, I haven't drummed to in excess in a while, and so I will take a break on my own. I start missing all those things. Mm -hmm. It is good and bad. I have way too many irons in the fire. I don't want to take any of the irons out because they're all cool. Yes, yes. So that's, fortunately some of those irons are friends and family and mm -hmm. unfortunately cleaning the house. <laughs> you know, that's also one of them. You got to do all mm -hmm. those things. So mm -hmm. uh, just making sure that you, 
and and also, so I think I told you, I tried to when I started Helios. I cut out this art. I cut out theater. Uh, I was miserable. Mm -hmm. So I, I realized that just working, even though the intentions are good, the results were terrible. It was horrible. And then when I did get back to painting, those first two or three paintings totally sucked. I literally only took six months off, mm. but just getting back into the groove of it was really hard. Uh, derailing the train's not worth it. Mm -hmm. What do you think that art gives to your life right now, now that you're not depending on it as a business for an income, what do you think it gives to you to make you less miserable? Yeah, absolutely. I think it does a couple of things. It is my meditation. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and, and art and theater both are meditative in different ways. Art is solo. Uh, I have models. I have people that help with a lot of the work that I'm doing, um, putting on displays. But for the most part, I just work in my studio and, and, and do my work. Theater... I would never be able to do a solo show. Mm. Theater for me has always been about the people that I'm working with and the cast and almost the bigger the better. Like I like being a big part of a cast and it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. Directors probably don't like that because I'm a cut up and so <laughs> we should be focusing. You're distracting and, the artists. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they should be, they're the professionals, they should be working, but uh, I like jokes and jokes. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's one of the big things. It just allows me a place to escape from um, from some of the hardships of life. Mm -hmm. But then the the other thing is that it allows me to my problem solving to grow. I mean, all of that acting, uh, painting is really just solving problems from the moment you start. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't like the way that works, or I need to shift this, you know, in a different direction. And being able to do that on the fly helps me with my work a great deal, actually. Mm. Let's talk about artists and business. Mm -hmm. how, do you have any sense of how those two link up, how artists and businesses might support each other? They should support each other very well, even amongst the individuals. One of the things that I find, and I don't know why I didn't really have this myself, I guess because I started entrepreneurship so young, is that art of all kind is a business. Mm. Unless you're just painting and you don't care who sees it or you're going up and drawing in your room and then putting it in the closet, you are in a business and most artists that I know don't want to think of it that way. They don't want to think about how they're going to get paid or billing a person or any of that. And that part of it is important. Mm -hmm. Managing how much money you spend on classes. You can make a living as an artist artists are gonna hate me. Mm -hmm. If you don't spend $3,000 every year on classes that you don't actually need, because mm -hmm. you know what you're doing, mm -hmm. right? And so that is fun expenses, but it's not really something that you need. So mm -hmm. if you can start thinking about where you're spending, how much is coming in, who your clients are, things like that, I think it'll go a lot better for most artists. In the other side, I think business needs that as well. As I said, you can't just be focused on number crunching and organizing, you need that creative side. So whether mm -hmm. it's you or just having people around you, I think that they really add to one another. Mm -hmm. If you had to give a tip to an artist who was thinking of becoming an entrepreneur for their art making, you mentioned this mindset idea of actually considering your 
art to be a business and making that shift. But are there other tips or a tip that you could give? Organization. Mm -hmm. uh, I am not the most organized of artists myself, but I forced it and I found that after I got over the initial emotional part of it, that just having all my art in a place and things that I was gonna sell in a place and, and keeping a spreadsheet of what my paintings were called and how much they cost and mm -hmm. things like that. Just organizing all of that stuff made a huge difference. I found talking to people, uh, they would say, oh, you remember that painting you did about such and such? And I can say, oh yeah, Lady in the Water. Mm -hmm. As opposed to, oh yeah, you're talking about the greenish one with the, you know, so right. you sound more professional, but also I know where everything is. Uh, especially as I started putting things into shows. I remember once I lost a very expensive painting for a long time because I didn't know where it had gotten to. Mm. Uh, it turns out I had put it in a show, a very small show in Virginia, and I just didn't know. And so this painting that I loved, that I was hoping would win an award, mm -hmm. it didn't. Uh, but it, it just sat up there for almost a year, and they also didn't call mm. about it. So. Uh, that that was frightening enough that I started noting when a piece would go out and where it went to. I note who bought every piece. I reach out to them pretty regularly, mm -hmm. a little less than I should now that I have Helios going, but mm -hmm. especially when I was doing it full on for a living, I would make sure that I reached out to everyone that had bought a piece within a year and then make sure I send them things. I have more work coming, not just as an ad, but just to say, thank you for mm -hmm. buying work from me. Mm -hmm. um, I've had quite a few collectors in my life and they were collectors because they saw that I was continuing to work, not that they bought a piece and then I disappeared. Right, right. What's next for you, for Helios? What does 2018 look like? Well, Helios is growing incredibly fast. And so I think one of the things that we're doing is looking at expansion. Um, we've got a number of people in different cities and towns asking about us. So mm -hmm. either we will expand or we will teach people to do what we're doing. Durham is not the only place that has this need at all, uh, especially as things start growing through North Carolina and throughout the Triangle. I think this is going to be a, a very big thing. I'm starting to finally run into more people that are doing similar work. Mm. And so, you know, we're a nonprofit. This is a competition. So if we can help more people to fix this problem, the better. Mm -hmm. And so we're starting to work with people who are doing that. Uh, as for me, same as always, little lose a little more weight, get a little smarter, <laughs> uh, try to hide some of the gray in my beard, you know, the the usual. Um, I think uh, on a personal note, my wife and I want to travel a little bit more. Mm -hmm. She was a teacher uh, at Lakewood Montessori and now she works for Habitat for Humanity. So now we have a little more flexibility in when we can take time off as opposed mm -hmm. to having to go every place in the summer. So mm -hmm. uh, we're going to try to take advantage of that. Wonderful. Thank you so much, no, Dad, thank you. for this, this was conversation. Great. I love talking with you. Special thanks to Shadowbox Studio in Durham, North Carolina, where we are recording today. Check out their website, shadowboxstudio.org. Artist Soapbox is a listener-supported podcast. You can support us via our Patreon campaign at www.patreon.com slash artistsoapbox. For information about today's episode and more, go to artistsoapbox.org. And we're out. <laughs>